it probably helps if I take the mute button off. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Scott? All right. Just wanted to make sure your uh, heart rate was up, just helping you close your circles on your iWatch. Um, good morning. I'm Pastor Tom. It's good to have you with us as we worship God here today. Uh, if you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this piece of paper and we will follow up with you accordingly. Uh, also, just um, if you're online, feel free to send us an email. You can reach us through our website and let us know what's going on and how we can be in prayer for you. So several other things going on around here. First of all, uh, if you have little ones or husbands who act like little ones, get them some crayons, give them the insert uh, for the children's uh, activity, and that we'll be following along with our sermon series. Today we're in the Gospel of John, so all of the activities in the children's printable are from and related to the Gospel of John. So that's how that works, and encourage you to uh, participate there. If you have little ones, we should have, you should have received it by email, and you can print that out and have them following the same topics and ideas that we're covering in our sermon series. So uh, in addition, we have a Tuesday night Zoom Bible study at 7 o'clock. encourage you to zoom in to this same Hope Church Zoom channel, and we will be covering uh, sort of a little more deeply the Gospel of John this week and uh, kind of what the, the structure of that is, or you can choose to be in the group that drills down into one or two passages. So um, that is Tuesday night at 7. We are uh, having youth group. Don't, don't get carried away there. Tonight at 6, right here, and we will meet in a socially distanced way or outside is usually where we do, where we uh, start. And we are going through the first two chapters of the book of Acts with our youth group. And we are looking at the ways in which the earliest uh, manifestations and activities of the church were uh, or are related to the activities of a beehive. And we're doing that in preparation for our summer youth sermon series called The Hive. And each of the kids will present a different aspect of beekeeping and a different aspect of life in the church. And they'll relate those two things together uh, during our summer youth sermon series, which is coming up in June. Um, as we roll past Easter, we are shooting to do once a month our Hope for Kids ministry. We need volunteers to sign up. Uh, the way this works is uh, you will contact Deb Lawler by email. Her email's in the bulletin. It's also in the emails we send out for this purpose. And you will let her know that you are uh, ready to jump back in once a month in our children's ministry, either as a teacher or as a nursery worker. And we are requesting that uh, nursery workers be vaccinated, I believe, um, before they come back into the rotation. Um, so that's the only caveat I know of. Um, but uh, anyway, encourage you to look at that prayerfully and consider where you might jump in. Uh, you'll, when you sign up with Deb, she will send you a link to our insurance company's background check, online background check form. It's very easy. It's very simple. 
um, and it's very cost effective for running a thorough background check on everybody who's going to be working with our kids. So I uh, encourage you to do that and then there'll be a little bit of training and then you'll be on your way and you'll be on a team of people who volunteer once a month to care for our kids in that way. So encourage you to pray about, pray about that. Um, and uh, more items coming up that I can't read because I'm old. Um, when is this, Pebby? The 30th. the 30th is a Women's Craft and Connect Day. Um, and we're doing painting? Okay. So Pebby's email is in there. Um, yeah. I can paint. It looks like a, yeah, but it looks like a bad Picasso when I try to paint something. But uh, anyway. <laughs> not really. No. Yes. All right. So more, if you want more details, contact Pebby. And you might want to just come and not paint. And if, you, if it was like a guy thing, I'd just come and make fun of everybody who's messing up. But I don't think women do that. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's coming up on the 30th. Uh, congregational meeting. We finally, I think, got this right. We're going to have a congregational meeting on the 25th of this month. And we're going to, uh, it's for the purpose of electing our two officers that were nominated last summer. They've been through the officer training process. They've passed their um, ordination exam with our session. And those two candidates are Mike Mitchell and Sean Lester. So our diaconate is going to colonel up. That's what's happening there. Double colonels coming on. Um, but uh, you will be voting to elect them to the office of deacon. This is a great time to sort of uh, reiterate the most important part of the officer nomination process is the nominations that come around every summer. We ask you to prayerfully look at the list of people who are members of hope and look for those people that sort of stir within you the idea of what a servant is in Christ and nominate them to the appropriate office. And uh, if, if you do that part, then we can work with them through the rest of the process. Uh, but if they're not nominated, we can't um, put someone forward for election who wasn't properly nominated by the congregation. So that's coming up this summer. You'll receive an email with nomination forms, etc. Good chance to kind of prayerfully consider who among us you look up to and want to see serve in those capacities. So, all right, and then we will install Sean and Mike into office, assuming that they, they stand for election um, the following Sunday, first Sunday in May. All right, and that congregational meeting will happen uh, right after church. It'll just take a few minutes, and then we will install the following Sunday during the church service. All right, will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word today? God, our loving Father, we come before you, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would grow us more fully into the men and women of God that you've called us to be, as your children, that you would um, 
reveal to us those things within us that are in need of your grace and that you would draw us closer to your cross uh, through, as a result of meeting you here through your word today. We lay at your foot the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word. We give you our sins and our disappointments and we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. Lord, we lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses. We pray your healing mercies upon your people. We lift before you this country and its leaders at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray that you would give wisdom and discernment to them in the decisions that are before them. And Lord, we lift up our men and women in uniform. We ask that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way and ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up those military families that are separated from one another due to their service to this country, and we just pray for your peace and strength and grace where it is needed there. And we lift up those men and women who've returned from their service, changed and wounded, and we pray that you would pour out your healing mercies upon them, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, use us, your church, to minister that grace to them. And Father, we... um, Lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We just pray that your light would continue to shine forth through your people. We lift up our missionaries that we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, elsewhere in the Middle East. And we lift up uh, the the young church plants that are taking place in our denomination in Texas, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin. And we just pray your blessing over those young works. We lift all these things to you in the holy and precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So we are in a series of messages called Run Through the Bible. We started in the book of Genesis at the very beginning, and we are moving through either a book or a section of scripture at a time uh, each week, and we On Palm Sunday, that was three Sundays ago, uh, we arrived at the New Testament. We started with the Gospel of Matthew. Then on Easter Sunday, we we looked at the Gospel of Mark. And I'm doing something a little bit different. Just bear with me. We'll get through this. Don't freak out. We're going to do the Gospel of John today. And the reason for that, I know, I am aware that the Gospel of Luke is next in the order. I am aware Um, But Luke wrote his gospel, and he wrote the book of Acts. And I think if I do this right, it will make more sense to do those two books back-to-back, and you'll kind of see better the continuity between the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so that's what I'm hoping to do over the next couple of weeks. Um, And uh, so we, we moved the gospel of John just one Sunday forward so that Luke and Acts could be together. Everybody cool? We're good? Nobody's freaking out? All right. Good to hear. Um, So what we've been doing is looking at the promise of God in the Old Testament and watching how God works through his people to lead us to the coming Messiah. It is important when we open up John's gospel to remember a couple of things 
Uh, John is the only one of the 12 disciples who does not die as a martyr at a young age. He, he lives into probably his 90s, we think, um, and he writes his gospel after all the other gospels are written. So it is, it is entirely likely that when John writes his gospel, he's already read the other three gospels, which cover a lot of the same material, and John actually has very few places in his gospel where there's sort of a double down on the material in the previous three gospels. And I believe the reason for that makes sense that John is fully aware of what the other three gospels contain. He sees no need to repeat that content. He knows there's three versions of it already out there. And what he's trying to do is give sort of a deeper perspective into the heart of Jesus and give sort of a, a more uh, rounded view of the, the Messiah, who Jesus is. And John, is, is his gospel is very much driven by imagery. For example, light and dark are, are two contrasting ideas that he uses a lot. Um, and John works through these sort of um, contrasts to develop his picture of Jesus. We believe that Jesus and John, uh, because of scriptures that point to this, were very close to each other. And so we get a very intimate picture of Jesus. We get a very uh, rich and complex uh, sort of elaboration on who Jesus is and why he came. And so I'm going to uh, sort of set before you one of the other contrasts in the Gospel of John is the contrast between death and life. So dark and light, death and light, sin and grace, um, all of these contrasts are present in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to use for the sort of the controlling idea for what we're going to do today as we look at the Gospel of John as a whole, is I'm going to use this idea of eternal life as sort of the, the controlling idea that John is using to connect his Gospel. And we'll see how he does that in a couple of different ways. So the promise of God that we've seen woven through every portion of his word is all tied to the cross of Jesus Christ and the eternal life that is brought to our souls through the work of Christ on the cross. That's the idea we're looking at. And so we're going to start with one of John's uh, big contrasts between light and dark, and we're just going to say that if, if you want to see the promise of God reach the point of yielding eternal life in your soul, you begin with seeing the light. We are called to see the light. And the first aspect of that is to know the eternal word who is Jesus Christ. So let me just give you a little bit of context before we read this. What you are about to read in the, in the, fall, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John is the greatest existential claim that anyone has ever made in writing. 
the greatest existential claim that anyone has ever made in writing. What I mean by that, in the Greek context, the Greek speaking and Greek thought context into which John is writing, the word you see translated as word in these passages is a very ancient Greek word that essentially means, well, it does mean the essence, the central essence of everything. For example, when we study life on this earth, we call it bio-logi, biology. The essential essence of life is what we are studying in biology. You see the idea? When you just say the word logi or logos uh, by itself in Greek, you mean the essential essence of the entire universe. It's, it, this is, these are ideas that are developed by Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Socrates Parmenides, etc. Uh, and a few others you probably have never heard of. But this idea that John is about to refer to is enormously important in Greek thought. And he's about to, to tell exactly what and who is the central essence of everything. So here we go. I'm going to begin where John begins, um, which is an echo back to the first book of the Bible, which starts with the words, in the beginning. So here goes John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word. In other words, the essential essence of everything. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, The first thing that I want you to see that John is saying is that the eternal word is God. That's who the eternal word is. Then we also want to know, we need to know who God is, who the central essence of everything is, and we also need to know our place in relation to him. You need to know that you are God's child. I'm going to jump A few verses forward in the first chapter of John, I'm going to read uh, these words. Um, And I want to emphasize something to you. Your place in God's family is at the initiative of whom? I want you to hold that question while we read these words. John 1, 9 through 13, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. What does John want you to come away from this passage knowing? First and foremost, he wants you to come away from this passage knowing you are God's child. The second thing he wants you to understand is if you think that you did anything to deserve being bought by the blood of Christ and brought into the family of God, if you think that you're in God's family because you're smarter than someone else or quicker than someone else or whatever, you're wrong. The ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. We are all part of God's family because of his will, not our own, because of his initiative, his passion for redemption. That is why we are here. And so we need to know the eternal word, the eternal essence of all things, and we need to know whose child we are. And then John wants us to know the person of Jesus Christ. And here is the conclusion in John chapter 1 of this, the greatest existential statement that has ever been put in writing. Here it is. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Let me just rephrase that for a moment. The essential essence of everything who is God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son, as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Who does John say Jesus was or is? God, the word, the essential essence of all things. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus is the essential essence of all things because he is God. God is the essential logos, the essence of all things, the eternal word. Here's here's the deal. Greek philosophy up until this point had been continually exploring the logos, the the essential essence of all things. John says, not only can you know the essential essence of all things, but the essential essence of all things is a person who became human, who took on flesh, who lived, who suffered, who died for you. This is the strongest imaginable claim that you, you could find literally anywhere. That God himself, the essential essence of everything, became one of us. And he offered his 
sinless life as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. So we are to see the light, to see who this eternal word is, to know whose child we are, and to know personally the human being who is the essential essence of all things, who is also the only God who is at the Father's side. So as we are called to see the light, we are also called to believe in the author of eternal life. We are to look to his sacrifice. This is the the great leveling place of Christianity. That I don't stand before you as one holier than you. If anything, I stand before you more sinful than you. That's the way God calls me to look at myself. Interestingly, he calls you to look at yourself the same way. I'm not looking at anybody. But he calls all of us into that humility to say with Paul, I am the chief of sinners. And when we say that, we begin to see this contrast between light and dark, between sin and hope, death and life, because we're looking to the one sacrifice for that hope. John 3, verses 13 through 19, this passage is part of a conversation that Jesus is having with a Jewish leader who is very confused, because Jesus has told him, you must be born a second time. And this man's name was Nicodemus, and poor Nick, he's going, that sounds weird. Um, and Jesus says, well, he says a lot, I encourage you to read it for yourself, it's John chapter 3, the whole conversation, it's good stuff. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, uh, this is not the same as your first birth, but in many ways, it is, there, there are parallels And I'll just throw this out there. How much choice did you have in your first biological birth? Zero. Zero. Fair enough? And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, that's how this works. You are born not of man, but of God. We'll, We'll read what Jesus says to Nicodemus here from John 3, beginning in verse 13. And this includes the famous passage you see in the end zone. You know, all right, we're going to read it in context. Jesus is speaking. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Who's he talking about? Himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So, 
Jesus concludes his conversation with Nicodemus by saying, I am, I'm here to bring eternal life to my people. That sin brings death, the Son of Man brings forgiveness of sins, and therefore eternal life. And this is truly at the heart of what John is trying to communicate in his gospel. If you don't get anything else out of the gospel of John, understand that Jesus came to bring life, and life abundantly. We are to believe in the author of eternal life. We are to believe he is the Messiah, that is, the anointed one. That's, so, just for, for clarity, Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed one. Christ comes from a Greek word that means the anointed one. So Christ is actually not Jesus' last name. He wasn't born to Mary and Joseph Christ. He's, he's Jesus. He's Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, who, who came to fulfill the eternal word of God because he is the eternal word of God. So, We are to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We're to put our faith in him. This is an amazing verse out of chapter 20 in the Gospel of John. John actually tells us why he wrote his Gospel. Here it is. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John tells you why he wrote what he wrote. This is what he wants you to know, that Jesus is the anointed one of God. He's the Son of God, and he came to bring life to his people. We are to receive that eternal life. We are to believe he is the Messiah, and we are to receive in our hearts this eternal life. Listen to these words in John 17. Jesus here actually defines what eternal life is. So when we say eternal life, it actually has a definition that Jesus gave it, and here it is. John 17, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You can know personally the eternal word of God, the living essence of all things. He's a person. He has a name. You, you can know him like you know 
a, a parent or a child or a sibling or a friend. You can develop that knowledge over time together with him. This is, I cannot emphasize how astoundingly profound this truth is. The eternal logos, the eternal essence of everything is a person. He loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he wants to walk through this life with you to be there when you fall on your face and when everything goes right. He wants to be a part of every aspect of who you are. This isn't Greek philosophy, folks. This is the essential essence of all things. And his name is Jesus. So this is what John is trying to communicate, that we are to see the light that shines in the darkness. We are to believe in the author of eternal life, and in believing, receive his grace, his mercy, his love, his eternal life. And then one other thing that I I can't really talk about the gospel of John without doing is this gospel is written to tell us that we are to believe in the great I am. Do you remember Moses in the wilderness? He, He murdered an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave, and then he fled Egypt so he wasn't prosecuted for his crime. And he's like 40 years in the wilderness herding sheep. Ew. Um, and one day, he's just minding his own business, and there's a bush that's on fire. And if you've ever been to this part of the world or about two hours west of here, anything in nature that's on fire is an immediate reason to panic. And so Moses comes toward this burning bush and he realizes something. It's not on fire. It's it's on fire, but it's not burning. It's this something's different. God says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. So Moses unsandals himself. And in the conversation that ensues, Moses is told to go to Egypt, bring God's people out of slavery, And Moses says, well, who do I tell them sent me? And God, his answer is, I am. I am sent you. And Moses is kind of like, okay, I haven't heard of that one. There's like about 374 gods out here in this desert. And every, every tent has a different one. And I haven't heard that one. That's, that's new. That's different. And God says, I am. Fast forward to the Gospel of John, and I want you to see the point that John is making. But please, I want you to see this in a way that's aimed at your heart. I, I want you to know that the great I am loves you. So 
open your heart to that and let these words flow in. I'm just going to read through some quotes from the Gospel of John. John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Let me tell you something. You walk into a Jewish synagogue and say that, it is not going to go over very well. Um, Jesus had guts. This guy was bold. He was unafraid. And when you are the essential, eternal essence of all things, you can say this because he is the great I am. John eleven twenty five. Jesus is talking to a woman, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 14, 6, Jesus says to a man, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 18, 4 through 6, then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Now this is at his arrest uh, prior to his trial, his beating, and then his crucifixion. So he knows what's coming. And he says, whom do you seek? And they answered to him, Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm going to read this as it appears in the Greek, not the way it's translated here. So I'm going to read it in English, but I'm going to read it just as it appears in the text in the Bible. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground, as we should. I'm not sure why they translated it, I am he. There's no he in the original text. It just says, I am in Greek. And so there he is, standing right there before his trial and crucifixion, says, I am. And in defense of the Jewish leadership, that's a capital offense in the first century Jewish context. That's blasphemy. Unless you are the eternal Logos, the great I am, the one who came to offer his life as a sacrifice for us. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, at the ways in which you have been aiming at our hearts for millennia upon millennia that your promise has a direction and it is to bring redemption to lost souls such as ours. Lord, we are humbled at the foot of your cross by a sacrifice so great that the eternal essence of everything in this universe would become one of us and offer his life as an atonement for our sins. We do not deserve this. We did not choose this. 
we are only humbled by the fact that we are now part of your family forever. That you have brought us out of darkness into light, out of sin into grace and forgiveness, out of death into life eternal. Lord, we are thankful. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to live out this truth in our everyday lives, to show the love and the grace and the forgiveness that you have shown to us, to, this, to the entire world. You are the great I am. You are the essential essence of all things. You are God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. My name's Scott Lawler. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Church, and we've come to our time of offertory. This is a time where we ask that you reflect on the message that Tom has given this morning. Uh, we do not pass a plate here at Hope Church. We believe this is a private matter between you and God. We do have an opportunity. There is a bucket in the back if you so choose, and then we have several ways for you to give online. We think of this message, and first I want to say is, Mark had said earlier, it's so good to see all of you. It is comforting to see people coming back. But whether you're here in person or online, this is really about reflecting. And I just love the Gospel of John, how he spends so much time really telling us who he is, that he is the great I am. And he calls it out. Whether it's the conversations he's having with Nicodemus or the conversation he has with Martha and Mary, it's about being right up front and letting us know who he is and why he came. I want to share from a few verses before where Tom had listed the great I am. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And it's based on his sacrifice, not what we do. As Tom said, everything is level. It's not based on anything I give to God or do. It's simply based on his love, on him being the great I am. As the music reflects, plays, please reflect on how you can give back to the great I am. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being the great I am, for being there to love us for all of our faults, for all of our stumbles. Nothing I can do will earn my way into being with you. It's based solely on your love, and that's so comforting, Lord. Continue to walk with us throughout this week guide us and help us to spread your word in your son's precious name. Amen. We'd like to invite you to stand with us as we close our worship today in this one last song.
hop-along hallelujah sister back here. <laughs> Amen. Love you, Allie. I'm sorry your foot is hurt, but you're young, and it's, you know, you'll get, but you'll get over it quickly. I'd be in, like, traction or something, so. All right. So, 
the, the way that God works is a mystery. Let me try to explain. I, I have, and I realize, I, I have a, mon- a minority view in Christendom, right? And, and it, it's, it's the view that God chooses us. That's his choice. And I realize most Christians don't hold that view, at least not as strongly as I do. Um, but I'm not here to press a theological point. I, I'm, I'm here to, well, how does one become a, children of, a child of God? What, well, John 1, 12, well, 13, 12 and 13. A child of God is born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And I realize there are all kinds of crazy implications to what I believe Scripture teaches, that we are chosen by God. But will you, will you take something with you from this place it is the an invitation into the mystery of how God works. He chooses, but he moves through his people. And here's, here's what he does. He redeems us, and then he blesses us, and then he sends us out into the world. And it's through those connections that we make in our everyday lives that others come into connection or contact with the grace of God. It's, it's through you. So that's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so Jesus has chosen to take up residence in your heart. Hear these words of blessing. Let them give shape to who you are and to how God moves in and through you in the week ahead. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May you go in his peace. Wilderness be.